Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. Welcome to the I See Old People podcast. I am Dr. Bruce, your host. Today we're going to be talking about my own personal experience with alcohol. It's an interesting topic. I think that you will enjoy it. Uh, We're going to go ahead with that soon. Uh, I just wanted to let you know today's date. It is December 11th, 2019. I'm broadcasting from Storage Closet Studios in beautiful Simcoe, Ontario, which is located in Norfolk County, beautiful area on the north shore of Lake Erie. This podcast is called the I See Old People Podcast for good reason. I am a newly minted senior myself, and when I take a look in the mirror, I see an old person. When I look over towards my wife, unfortunately, and she doesn't like it, but she's an old person too. Most of my friends are older, and a lot of the people who have influenced me are older. So this podcast is dedicated to aging, successful aging, fun aging, healthy aging, talking to people who have interesting stories, uh, particularly those from the silent generation, people who are 85, Going on to 90, we interviewed a 90-year-old gentleman last week, 94-year-old gentleman the week before. They have wonderful stories to share, and uh, the I See Old People podcast is here weekly to share those stories. We're also going to follow my own personal journey of health and life as I go through my senior years, what I like to call my next 30 years. Uh, I certainly have set a target of 90 to live to, and uh, I'm just beginning. I'm only two weeks in. My birthday was only two weeks ago. I'm feeling good. I'm feeling healthy. Uh, This has been actually a really, really good fall for me, and fall is not usually a good time of year for me. As the days get shorter, the sun, uh, we're down to eight hours of daylight here a day now, and uh, the shortest day is still not come. It's still two weeks away. So uh, the shortest day of the year is coming. This time of the year was actually a very, very uh, difficult time for me most years. This year, excuse me, this year it was better. And I think one of the reasons it was better was our topic today. And that is my relationship with alcohol. It is early in the morning. I just drove my son to the airport. I'm just going to have a little sip of coffee. I just drove my son to the airport. He had a uh, 8 a.m. flight, so we were on the road by 5.30. And uh, even that ties into my topic because uh, it was wonderful again, again, to wake up with a beautiful, clear head and then go about all my duties that I had to, to perform in the morning. So I'm pretty happy about where I am right now. Uh, it's not to say there aren't some issues. I certainly have arthritis. I have an arthritis in my foot and in my hand and I got some in my neck and I, I screwed up my shoulder pretty good a few years ago in a car accident. That's another topic that we'll, uh, we'll talk about in the, in the future, in a future episode. But today we're going to talk about alcohol because I'm pretty proud of where I am right now. I am over a year sober I stopped drinking on November 28th, 2018, so it was just after my birthday uh, a year ago. So now I have uh, completed one full year of sobriety. I have gone through Christmas, I've gone through New Year's, New Year's Eve, 
sober. I've gone through uh, trips. We went down to the Dominican Republic. I have gone to, uh, I've gone through the summer, you know, the patio season, the, uh, the drinking outside on the patio type of uh, time of year. I got through all of that without drinking. Uh, the fall came, and like I said, I've had this really, really good fall. And I can only attribute it to the fact that uh, for the first time in a very, very long time, I have not been drinking. So I wanted to talk a little bit about that whole experience. In a way, uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about AA, uh, because AA was really important for me when I started out on my sobriety journey. And uh, when you have been sober for a year in AA, they have what's called your birthday. They call it your birthday, your first birthday, because it's your first year of sobriety. So I uh, have accomplished that goal. And what usually happens is you get a marker uh, that signifies your one year. And then you get to speak to the group. You have uh, their undivided attention and it's kind of it's your cake day. They usually bring in some <clears throat> a treat or something and you have coffee and cake afterwards, but you get the floor. Well, because I'm not going to AA right now, I'm not going to have that experience of having my uh, cake day and having to speak to the group. So this is really uh, going to be my discussion with you today, is what I would have said to that group if I had carried on. So uh, let's, I'll talk more about that as I, I get through, but let, let's just start with uh, how my relationship to alcohol started. Uh, so I, I, I grew up in a family that was not, it was not an alcoholic family. My mother or my father, neither of them were alcoholics. Uh, my mother never drank at all. Uh, I should not say that. She had a very occasional drink, maybe at Easter or Christmas time or, uh, you know, uh, some type of an event. <clears throat> and she used to enjoy uh, Tom Collins. That was her drink. Uh, gin and a sweet um, mixture called Tom Collins. And uh, she'd give me a little sip of that once in a while. Okay, so that was my only experience of ever having uh, any type of alcohol as a child. Uh, my father uh, would have the occasional beer. Uh, he used to like um, uh, Sambuca. He'd have a shot of Sambuca when he got home. He worked on the railroad. He worked right on the north shore of Lake Superior. So when he came home from work at 4.30, a little nip of uh, Sambuca seemed to do him well. And uh, it was, and then that was it. He put that away and there wasn't another nip again. Um, so they were not alcoholics. Uh, they were heavy smokers. Uh, if one thing they had di did was they helped me to not smoke as a, as a teenager or an adult. Uh, when both of them had to have their uh, uh, teeth removed when they were only in their 40s, late 40s. I was still in high school, I think. Uh, yeah, it would have been high school uh, when they both were uh, kind of walking around the house with their upper and lower teeth all removed so that they could get dentures. And uh, I can only... I can only assume that it was the smoking that destroyed their teeth. Um, I, I'm 60 years old and I still have great teeth. I mean, I have all of my teeth except for one and uh, I have an implant in place for it. And so I'm very happy with how healthy my teeth are and I've never smoked uh, my entire life. So maybe that's the reason I still have my teeth. But getting back to alcohol, so my childhood, <clears throat> I grew up in a, a very non-drinking type of a home. It was never a central part of the home. Uh, wine, a bottle of wine was never on the table in our house. Uh, it was just not part of our life. 
Uh, as a teenager, I don't remember drinking a lot as a teenager. I mean, I grew up in a, a northern town, so occasionally uh, you would buy some beer and, you know, you go out into the country or go out to a lake and, and sit and have some beer. I remember kind of doing that, but really it wasn't a regular thing. Uh, when I was 18, the drinking age was 18 at the time, I started going to bars, uh, the Landmark Inn, it was a disco, so that really will date me there. Um, and then I, again, a beer. I think when I really started to drink on a regular basis was when I went to uh, university, and then I went to chiropractic college after that. And I think it was, the, at that time, it was a new phrase. Now it's an old dated phrase, but there was something called TGIF. TGIF was really big, and that meant, uh, thank God it's Friday. So on university campuses and at the chiropractic college campus, on Fridays, there was always a pub day, a pub afternoon. So I really started drinking regularly on weekends with this whole university experience of TGIF. So I tended not to do much homework on a Friday. I didn't study on Fridays. Fridays were my day to go out and usually start quite early in the day to have a few drinks. Uh, then I got married and when I got married my wife and I we really didn't drink much either. I can remember buying a bottle of wine, uh, the two of us, one bottle of wine for two of us, uh, having a couple glasses of that with a meal and putting that bottle away in the fridge and then maybe drinking the other two, gla the other two glasses out of it, um, you know, three days later or on the Sunday. So a one bottle of wine for the entire weekend. Um, so this was pretty light drinking. Uh, what happened, I think, is I started to, to binge drink a little bit during my university days, so that on those Fridays sometimes, that's when I started to get a little bit over the limit, you know, I started to get that little buzz, and I started to look forward to that kind of experience, so I think that was the very beginning of it, so it wasn't as a teenager or in my childhood, it was definitely in my college and university years. Uh, then I started working, and when I started working, uh, it was just, it was tough. We had children. I had four children. Uh, the, my wife and I had four children together. It was a, a busy time. Uh, I, I, I remember having the occasional drinks with people and maybe getting a little bit buzzed from the drinking, but never, uh, it never was a regular nightly thing. Uh, I became fairly successful in my business, and we'll talk about that in another podcast. And um, the group there, when we would be on at conferences, we would go down to Atlanta for conferences quite often, all through the um, 90s, basically. We were went to conferences down in Atlanta. And, uh, you know, those are what I call the uh, gold card years, you know, the gold credit cards where a group of us would all uh, go out for a very fancy dinner, a nice steak dinner, uh, beautiful, uh, expensive red wine with that meal. And uh, then we'd all throw in our gold cards and, and pay for our portion of the meal. So those gold card uh, years, uh, w there was a fair amount of drinking during that time. And it was uh, starting to drink. Uh, we were, I was drinking um, expensive wines, nice wines. So uh, I didn't really see the dependency creeping up 
I was looking at it as this whole sommelier type of thing where I'm experiencing wine and I'm learning about wine. Uh, you know, that joke uh, about, you know, this is a hobby, uh, this addiction, I just dress it up as a hobby. And I think that's kind of how it started with wine. Uh, I remember buying Atlas Peak wine. It was $30 a bottle. So that was back in 1990. So I think I was feeling pretty good about myself. I was thinking that I was pretty hot shit and I was buying some pretty expensive wine. But that's, I think, when the addiction really, really kicked in because uh, I started to buy uh, wine really regularly and we had wine all of a sudden at every meal. And then wine was uh, not only at every meal, but it tended to even continue after the meal. And that's when a lot of health issues started to occur for me, uh, particularly weight gain. Weight gain was the biggest thing. I really started to get heavy. But ultimately, I never felt, I never felt like an alcoholic. I never felt that I was out of control during those wine years. Uh, okay, so then what happened a few years ago is we, uh, we went on a trip to Thailand. Okay, I've never been to Thailand before. Thailand was 35 to 40 degrees Celsius every day. Every day. The sun was like a laser beam. Okay, point. It, it, was, it was so hot. Of course, we weren't really, we were advised, we were in Thailand and Myanmar, and we were advised very, very firmly not to drink the water unless it was bottled water. Well, what you would uh, find in Thailand and Myanmar is bottled water was about $5 a bottle, whereas beer was 50 cents. So I never was a beer drinker at all, and all of a sudden, that was the only way I could sustain life was to drink beer. So we were drinking beer all day, every day, not getting any kind of buzz from it. I mean, this was just regular plain beer, 4% uh, beer, and uh, it, we really needed it just to stay hydrated and, and, and to quench our thirst from the heat. So uh, I don't feel there was any abuse. I don't remember once being in Thailand where I was felt out of control or felt drunk or anything like that. But I did really get a taste for beer, and I actually started to enjoy beer more than wine. Okay, so I come back to Canada. We were in Thailand for three weeks, Thailand and Burma for three weeks. We come back to Canada, and I start to drink beer. And then the whole craft beer craze starts. Okay, so craft beers are made in small batches by artisans. So I fooled myself the same way, where I... I went ahead and started thinking, oh, this is just a wonderful hobby where I try all of these different beers from these different artisans and I become really educated about what beers are made of and how they, uh, the taste bouquet and, and the um, uh, bitterness and all of the different factors that might be contributed to beer. But while I'm fooling myself thinking that I have this awesome new craft beer habit or hobby, I'm also developing a habit and I'm starting to drink a lot of this beer. And uh, I really get a taste for the IPAs, the Indian Pale Ales. And the IPAs uh, that I was drinking would range in alcohol content from 7.9 to 8.5. That was my favorite range. I, love, I loved strong beer, strong IPAs. 
So I was drinking a lot of strong IPAs. My weight ballooned up. I was 277 pounds. So I was, I was, I was approaching 280. And uh, I mean, what does 280 bring you? I'm six foot two. Well, I'm six foot one and a half. Uh, I'm shrinking as a, as a normal 60 year old man does. You, you lose about four inches in your life in height. Uh, so I'm drinking uh, these strong, strong beers and I'm getting really heavy and I'm feeling all kinds of back pain all the time. I'm tired all the time. I'm fighting with my wife all the time. We seem to be constantly fighting. I am depressed all the time. I am depressed to the point of suicidal. In the summer before I quit drinking, in the summer of 2018, I wrote a note to myself about the fact that I thought I was going to die that day. Okay, Maybe when I get to know my audience a little bit better, I'll read that note. I wrote that note at 2.30 in the afternoon. Remember, I don't remember writing it. And uh, that was my big wake-up call. And that was in the summer of 2018. But it didn't stop me. It was a wake-up call, and I started. I realized then that I was addicted to alcohol. I was addicted to craft beers, and I was drinking them every single day. Uh, I started uh, as that fall progressed. I started to uh, black out, and that never happened before. That was new. I would drink four or five of those super strong beers, and then I would wake up in the morning. Okay, so this is not, this is not, uh, this is not a good life. I'm starting to uh, really, really feel that my time on earth is, is limited. I begin to feel that I'm not going to even make it to 60. So this was, you know, I was 59 at the time. Uh, it was a scary time. And it was a time that it, it required extraordinary action. And I did something that I never thought I would do. But once I did accept the fact that I was, uh, that I was addicted to alcohol, alcohol was controlling my life, I did decide that I would, uh, I would do something about it. And I was going to quit. And I've quit before. I've quit drinking before for different reasons, usually for weight reasons. And uh, I've always failed. Uh, so... I needed. I knew I needed to do something more than just stop. So I, my brother, my loving older brother, uh, he's uh, he was a wonderful guide for me, and he helped me that first day when I approached uh, my very first uh, Alcoholics Anonymous meeting. It was in a different town than in the town I live. I was quite worried about running into people that I knew. Uh, I went to the meeting. Uh, I left. I actually started talking to my brother on the phone uh, at my house, on my cell phone at my house. And he talked me all the way from my house into my car, the drive to the neighboring town, the walk up the stairs of the church where the AA meeting was being held. And I, uh, I said goodbye to him at the door as I walked in. And uh, that was the best thing I ever did. Because when I walked into that room, I was greeted uh, by an older gentleman. He was the only one there. I'd gotten there early. And uh, he welcomed me with open arms. And uh, then uh, 
I, it was a small group that first night. There was maybe four other people came in after I'd got there. So there was about uh, six of us in the room and I couldn't talk. I was crying a lot. This also, I, I don't think I mentioned that last fall, I was crying a lot. That was part of the depression and the depression was uh, making it very difficult to have a conversation. Uh, I think I couldn't have even had this conversation I'm having right now with you six months ago. Uh, so I've, I, that's how much things have changed. But anyway, I, I didn't speak at all at that meeting. I sat, I listened, I tried to say my name. I couldn't even say my name. I just burst into tears and I just sat there. And then I went to a meeting that was on a Wednesday. And then the next day, and then I didn't drink Wednesday. And then the next day I didn't drink again. And I went to a meeting in another town. Because there's, there's one thing you can always find. It's you can find uh, AA meetings. They're in every town. In fact, I went to one in my early sobriety. I went to one when we were down in Dominican. Uh, so I went to two meetings down in the Dominican. So you can find uh, you can find AA meetings pretty much anywhere. So I kind of made a circle around my town that I live in. And, uh, and I went to those meetings. So Thursday, I went to a meeting. I didn't drink again. Friday, I went to a meeting. I didn't drink again. And it was probably the first Friday that I didn't drink in 30 years. So uh, it was a pretty mo monumental day. And I didn't go to a meeting Saturday. I went to a meeting again Sunday. I didn't go Monday. I went again Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Sunday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Sunday. So I kept that up right through until uh, almost May. So I was going pretty regular. I think I cut it down to three days uh, a week by then. Uh, but then I decided that uh, I loved AA. Honestly, I loved going to it. But uh, they're at 8 o'clock at night. Uh, I'm leaving my wife alone, you know, four nights a week, five nights a week. And... Uh, Basically, I felt I had to make a decision. Is AA going to become my life now? Or do I start to rebuild my life now with my wife and with my family and with uh, in, a so in sobriety? So I, I uh, made that decision. And, but I decided I'm not going to just not go to AA anymore. I'm going to replace it with something else that's pos positive. And that's when I started to go to the gym. So it's summertime, I started to bike a lot, and I, I walked my dog all the time, so I'm getting those two forms of exercises, but then I added some, uh, some gym work. So I'm at going to the gym, trying to rehabilitate my shoulder. Uh, again, I'll tell you about my shoulder injury another time. That'll take a, a full episode, I'm sure. Uh, so I'm trying to rehabilitate my shoulder, I'm trying to get healthy, I'm trying to be able to stand up a little bit straighter, I'm trying to get rid of the uh, gut. I mean, I'm down to 245 pounds now from 277 pounds. So quitting alcohol has had an incredible positive effect on my health. So anyway, we'll get back to the uh, summer. So I decide then that I'm going to replace it with the gym. So I haven't gone back to AA. Now I had gotten a sponsor when I was with my sponsor. When things are getting a little bit rough, I still call him. He doesn't put any pressure on me. And I know if I fail, I was just talking to my wife about this last night. If I fail, if I start to drink again, then I would be back at AA's door in a heartbeat because AA helped me to quit drinking, 
the support that I got in that group, unconditional support in every town I went to. And then I got to know the people at those meetings and I got to, to follow them and I had a community. And I think it's the community of AA that is so, so valuable. And I, I do miss that community. I think about all those people all the time. But I've got a life here that I need to build again. A life here that I need to start to enjoy and be part of again. Just like this morning when I woke up at 5 a.m. and drove my son to the airport. I couldn't have done that a year ago. I couldn't have done that a couple years ago. I'm participating again now. I'm part of life again. My role in the family has changed. I'm not part of the chaos and confusion anymore. I'm part of the solution. I'm part of the, I'm the fixer now. And it's a, it's a role that I was for so, so many years and I abandoned it. Alcohol convinced me that I didn't need to be a fixer anymore. I didn't need to be the calm voice anymore. I could be the chaos. Alcohol told me I could be the chaos. It told me that I was fun being the chaos. I was a riot. Everybody loved chaotic Bruce. Well, you know what? Everyone seems to like sober Bruce. And you know who else likes sober Bruce? Bruce. So, uh, so everything's changed. I really think I, I dodged a bullet. I dodged a bullet. I, I don't think I would live. I certainly wouldn't have had plans to live my next 30 years, which is my catchphrase on my podcast, because that's what this is all about, my next 30 years. If I was still drinking five craft beer every night, I wouldn't make it to 65, let alone to 90. So yeah, I dodged a bullet. There's one other thing I want to talk about before I close off this, uh, my cake talk today, my birthday talk. Uh, I didn't realize what a driving force I was for alcohol within my family. I'm the breadwinner. I'm the, I'm the, I'm the person who's bringing in the money. And I was also the person bringing in the alcohol. I would close my office door and I would drive to the liquor store every Friday and I would load up with all kinds of alcohol that I bring into my house that was put on my table that was given to my uh, guests that was my wife myself it was always there it was om omnipotent is that the right word omnipresent maybe omnipresent alcohol was omnipresent in my home and now it's not and I see around me Everyone drinks less. My whole family drinks less. So when you're an alcoholic and you're a driving force and you're an alpha male in your home, you're driving that alcohol agenda. And that was, the, that was a big, big lesson that I learned over the last year. And I don't want to be that ever, ever again. I want to be the driving force for good. The driving force for the person who wants to play cards, the person who wants to go for a bike ride, the person who wants to go for a walk. I just have to have a sip of coffee. I want to be that person because I like that person. And I'm starting to realize that a lot of other people like that person too. I had a lot of friends when I was drinking. I don't see a lot of them anymore. And that's okay because I'm building a relationship again with my wife. I'm building a relationship again with my children and I'm building a relationship again with my community 
So goodbye, alcohol. You can stay far away from me and from my family. Okay. Well, I sure hope you don't mind such a personal note on the Icy Old People podcast. I, uh, I wanted to tell that story for a long time. And uh, I hope that somebody who's listening to this benefits from that story in some way. That there is hope. You can change. You know, there's an old song about, you know, most people don't change. But some people do. And uh, I did. And I'm proud of myself for that. So thanks for listening. I just love the fact that uh, somebody somewhere in the world is going to hear this story and if you could send me some feedback on it I'd really appreciate it if you hit subscribe or just give me some indication that you've heard the podcast and that you either like it or you hate it or something just let me know okay you can reach me at icoldpeoplepodcast at gmail.com You can contact me on Podbeam because that's the platform that I uh, broadcast from. Uh, But I'm also available on Spotify, um, iTunes, and Google Play. So, I mean, it's all over the place. Uh, This has been a fun project for me. This is my fourth episode. I'm going to start to bring in my guests, the interviews that I've done with guests. I'm going to start to do that after my seventh episode. Uh, I determined to get to seven because that is the average number that all podcasts, uh, failed podcasts get to. It's usually seven and then they're done. Uh, I don't want to be a failed podcast. I want to be a successful podcast. I want to get better and better at what I'm doing here and the information that I'm presenting to you. I hope you enjoyed this very personal journey into alcohol and my relationship to alcohol. And uh, right now, alcohol and I, we're estranged. We don't even talk, and it's a good place to be. So thank you so much for listening, and please tune in next week. We'll see you next week.